Here to discuss all things NRL, AFL, and anything sports related. Please give a warm Aussie g'day to the footy fanatic and America's own Corey Jackson in Outside the Sheds. Greetings and salutations and welcome to Outside the Sheds. I'm your host. We'll get into it a little bit further. You can also call me your Shed Adamus. If you've been listening the last few weeks, you already know why I have branded myself with this. But if you haven't, you're welcome to Outside the Sheds. This is a time, Shedheads, ladies and gentlemen, people of the free world, when we're a couple weeks away from having reality. And reality would be called a champion. A champion just not over down under in Australia with the NRL, the AFL, and most of the sports that we're talking about here and outside the sheds, but all around the world. From the NBA, Major League Baseball, this is a time because of this craziness that is the cove or COVID-19 if you're a medical professional. When we're able to crown champions, and to me that brings excitement, and if, and if you're a fan of sport, there is nothing better than, than, than seeing a champion crowned because it's a culmination of hard work, dedication, and just suffering. Let's put it. Let's put it plain and simple. Because I, you tell me a team that hasn't won a championship. I'll let you even go back the last ten years. Who hasn't had or hasn't brought in injuries into a final series, a championship game, or whatever? So it's there is suffering. There is pain. There's sacrifice. But that's I think why we love sport. That's why we love games. That's why we love matches. Because it's three hours in one tiny little, tiny little, 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 little spectrum of our lives where we get to watch the beginning, middle, and end. But for a season, it's all those ingredients just piled in over and over and over and over again to make a championship run. I cannot really emphasize enough how excited I am uh, for this coming weekend for the games that are about ready to kick off in a matter of hours. But again, what do I love to do with you guys here and outside the sheds, my shed heads? I like to make you, how should I say, hold out just a little bit. And we're not going to go right to the dessert because we have to eat the salad first, the entree, and then we'll get into our dessert. Does that sound fine with you? Well, I didn't really ask, but I guess I did because we're gonna. I'm setting this up. And the way that we're setting this up is we've got to go over what just happened for us to get to preliminary final weekend. So let's go back. Let's go back. And our 40-20 this week and how it's been the last two is talking about the matches that transpired finals week two. And boy, did we have some matches. We had some matches. We had some some matches that had a little bit of bad blood. 
We had some matches that had old team members going up against their 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 former clubs. Uh, there was just a lot of a lot of intrigue because of these these matchups that we had. And I've got to tell you, they pretty much lived up to them. In the NRL, I have to admit they were a lot more exciting than in the AFL this weekend. The AFL matches really did not turn out to be the nail biters that a lot of people were hoping they were going to be. Um, we did see some incredible things, but they just they just weren't competitive matches, and we're going to get into that. But I'm going to start off with the NRL. I'm going to start off with the Friday night, and I'm going to start off with just straight animosity and hate. And that was the Roosters going up against the Raiders. Last year's grand finalists, six again, six again, six again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Raider fan. That wasn't even funny, was it? That wasn't funny. I apologize. But that really was the, how should I say, the foundation to this match. The the the, the crazy six again call that prompted the Roosters to put the, the car in the fifth gear for 45 seconds to just get them down the field to snatch the grand final away from a Raiders team, a green machine team that just really thought it was their year. It was their time. So the, the matchups this year have been a little bit uh, hotly contested, I guess would be a nice word to put it. And I think it's always exciting when you have two teams that really don't like each other and they just don't, and that just doesn't stay that way on the field. And what I mean by that is, it's one thing if if teams don't like one another, players don't like one another, but but the Roosters and Raiders disdain goes all the way up into the coaching box. All right, let's be honest. I don't know many people Ricky Stewart really does truthfully like Ricky, or as some people call him Sticky, if you understand now. Uh, Sticky is just not warm and fuzzy. But Sticky's players love him. And I think that's all that really matters. I guess that's all that really counts when you're a coach. But Sticky still has it in for Trent Robinson because of some words that that, uh, Robbo said about not really caring about the Roosters uh, last season. And it has boiled over even so much so last year before the grand final when the two coaches would not shake each other's hands. Following both of these coaches, I have to admit that this is going to be more sticky than it is Robbo. Uh, sticky holds on to a grudge, and by, by every means, he's going, to, he's going to infuse that into his team. Robbo has no problem playing that game, too, and he didn't shake hands either. But that is that is the backdrop for this match that transpired on Friday. A, a, a mean excuse me, a green machine team, a Raiders team that has had it in for the Roosters all year, feeling that they took their prize away. And let's let's go back and talk about the Raiders a little bit. And I am one of the ones that even put a fork in these guys when Josh Hodson went down, blowing his knee out. And Josh Hodson is the hooker um, dummy half from England that pretty much a lot of people said is the best player on, on the Raiders team up to the point of his injury. And, and most people thought after that, Ricky would still keep them competitive because, you know, they do have a good team, Canberra. But no one saw them going 
as far as they've gone this year. But Ricky did say in the interview after after excuse me Hodgson's injury, he said nothing changes. We're still going to be competitive and we're still going for the prize, the championship. And a lot of people snickered and a lot of people kind of giggled and laughed about that because they just thought that was sticky being sticky. But it looked like now Ricky Stewart might have known something we didn't know. And he's changed some pieces up a little bit. But he's instilled into this Raiders team a feeling and a sensation that it's them against the world. And for how certain coaches love to coach, that is some of their favorite way. Who cares what anyone says outside the sheds? Wait a second. What did I just say? Anyway, outside the sheds. Who cares? All that matters is what we think of inside this locker room, this shed. That's all that matters. And by God, if Ricky has not got those guys to play that way. So there's a little backdrop about what culminated on Friday night. And then you have a Roosters team, a Chooks team, that lost by one point to Penrith, who feels that they really, really, really would love to go for that three-peat, to win three premierships in a row. It's something that is almost like I don't know, the golden goose. It just doesn't happen or frequently. But they're a team that is not peaking right now. And if you know anything about sports and if you've watched sports long enough, you know when teams are peaking and they're coming into a finals run and they can downshift, they can upshift, and they're a a well-oiled machine. And that is not what the Roosters have been since the Rabbitohs took them behind the sheds and beat them handily. Um, 60 to who cares how many because 60 is enough, right? And that's what's, what's, what's transpired. They've just not seemed... I think that caught a lot of people in the sporting world off guard, me included, that you couldn't get up for your big rivals like that. And it's kind of transpired from that point forward. They, they came out of the blocks against the Penny Panthers... And then just kind of stumbled and then battled back. But it's just been kind of a roller coaster these last three weeks for the Chooks. And I don't think, and I don't know if we really knew what we were going to see on Friday night. But one thing we can guarantee that, that, that I could guarantee and that I think the sporting world knew was that we were going to get drama and we were going to get theater. And that's what we got. Because. In a hard-fought battle, the Raiders beat the Roosters 22-18. And I'll tell you, the Roosters showed something, even though they did lose the match. They got down 12 to nothing early on. I would say the heart blood of that, that Raiders Green Machine team is Josh Papali. Uh, I think he's now signed with the Raiders now. Uh, in a lifetime contract, I guess you could say, that R- Ricky loves him. He's one of the few people Ricky will come up and nod to and give hugs to at certain times. He loves that guy. And that guy is the heartbeat, the heart blood, whatever you want to say of Green Machine, of the Raiders. And Papali got on the board first. And if you're watching a match, seeing a team's spiritual leader get a, a first try touchdown, home run, whatever you want to say, goal 
can really just infuse energy throughout that entire team and get them all to play on a different level. I don't know if you could say that that was a feeling inside of them that they that they're a team of destiny or today is their day. But when I saw Papali go across the line and score, I instantly was like, "Oh boy." Because I knew the Roosters were up against it. And and at that after that point, it just seemed like everything was breaking wrong for the Roosters. The ball bounced just, you know, a fraction the wrong direction. Um Luke Carey trying to make a tackle and getting headbutted in the face and, and people not knowing if he had a facial fracture on a, on a freak, freak moment on, in the try line on a try. Just things like that just had you thinking and feeling that this was just not the Roosters' day. And when they got down 12 nothing, I really knew that this was just, this wasn't good. Um, it, just, it just was not going well for the Roosters. And the Green Machine felt that this was their day. This was their day of reckoning. This was their day to put their despised rival to the sword and to take that next step closer to their their end goal of winning a premiership. But then the Roosters fought back and really made a match of it. And Sonny Bill Williams coming in, S-B. W, And who knows, that might have been Sonny Bill Williams' last match in the NRL. And if it is, by God, did we get to see some brilliance with Sonny Bill in his time with the Bulldogs and the Chooks. But Sonny Bill came off the bench due to injury and really played some inspiring football. Luke Curie came back from his face not being exploded in like people thought might have been the case. And the Roosters made a run at him. And they really did. And, and, and the try that really sealed the deal when the Roosters looked like, like they were right back in it when with had a wicked spin that somehow got behind Tedesco. And, and let's be honest, folks. The last two years, that ball would have spun right into Teddy's hands. He would have got it out of the end line, out of the try line, and he would have brought it out and probably got 20 meters out of the run. But instead... It corkscrewed and pulled away from Teddy, and Teddy couldn't go back the other direction. The Roosters, the magic was gone. And the Raiders pounced on it. Game, set, match. It was over. But the heart of a champion is something that it's always, to me, beautiful to see. Because for some reason, there are teams that no matter what they try to do, don't get it right. No matter how much money you give them, they're going to make the wrong choice. They're going to start the wrong player. But the Roosters under Trent Robinson have done it right more than they've ever done it wrong. But sport is a cruel game and you're not always going to get those breaks. And they just didn't get the breaks they needed to. And and truthfully, there, there are two matches in the finals they didn't get those breaks. And yes, I'm not taking anything away from the Raiders because Canberra took it to them and proved their worth. But this, these last two matches, just things have not gone the way for the Sydney Roosters. And truthfully, that was their downfall. And, and, and now the defending champions, the two-time defending champions, are golfing. 
or as I could, or as you should say, their season is over, and the Raiders advance against their despised rival. A lot of emotion on the field after the match, as the Raiders knew that they had they had they had locked up a, prelim, a preliminary final spot. But a great match to watch. Uh, a lot of intrigue, a lot of excitement, and a perfect way to kick off uh, week two final weekend. The next match. For for final weekend in the NRL was the Eels and the Rabbitohs at Bank West, and I think last week Yoshet Adamas said that of of the two NRL matches that this one was the one where to me uh, if you're gonna bet the bet the house if you're gonna bet the the double wide trailer it was this one betting on. Wayne Bennett and the Rabbitohs that come over a Paramount Zeal side that had injuries to Micah Sebo, Blake Ferguson. These players weren't going to play. And I truthfully thought by every means that the writing was on the wall for the Eels. Um, and, and no matter how much heart Brad Arthur gets those guys to play with, they just didn't have enough to quote-unquote get them over the top. of. To me, the team, the, the hottest team, in the NRL right now, the South Sydney Rabbitohs. And then news breaks just hours before the match that Michael Jennings, a guy that's been pretty much a a lifelong player in the NRL, and what I mean by that is he's played for years. They call him the Gray Fox now or the Gray Wolf. The guy's got gray hair on top of his head, a sheen of gray hair, by the way. But Michael Jennings has always been one of the good guys. You never hear about him getting in trouble or anything like that. But right before a key match, Michael Michael Jennings is ruled out for performance-enhancing drugs. And I think it really sent shockwaves through a lot of the NRL company, through the, the, the sheds, through just the NRL family, that Michael Jennings being up this guy to do this. And like I said, at that point, no one knew about the if the B sample was was going to come back negative. But the only thing we knew was there was enough in it that he wasn't playing. He was ruled out. And for surprises, the rest of the NRL community was about this test. You have to guess that everybody inside the eel sheds were just like, what? Because Michael Jennings was pretty much their lifeline with Sevo and Blake Ferguson being out. Experience, number one. But two, the guy can play so many different positions for you guys or for the team. So going, running out of the sheds and running onto the pitch, the field, the Eels really felt that the world was against them. Because now without Jennings, they're missing three of their biggest players and, and, and scorers going into that match. But even because, and even with that happening, and even spotting the Rabbitohs an 8 nothing lead, the Eels showed heart. And I think I've mentioned to you my two favorite players to watch in the league right now. I talked about uh, Pappenhausen, Ryan Pappenhausen being one of them with the Melbourne Storm. But I got to tell you something, week in and week out, a guy, if you love to watch a player who plays with heart, determination, passion, and love for club, 
it doesn't go any farther than the king himself. King Gutho. Gutherson. And the paramedal eels fullback in about a 10-minute span played some of the most energetic, fearless football you will ever see. He had one try assist in two tries and a team that was kind of out of it, next thing you know, is up 18-8. to That's right. The Parramatta Eels, the team that no, that everyone had written off behind their captain rode the wave of his emotion and him saying, get on my back, here we go. And King Gutho, and by the way, after the first try, gentlemen, I hope, I hope you turned your ladies away from the screen because King Gutho did the Gutherino again. And I got to tell you something. We haven't seen hips like that since the King Elvis Presley. But anyway, I don't know why that's if that's why they call him the king or not. But that's a hunk of hunk of burning eel right there. Because that dance that he puts on, uh, Michael Ennis can't get enough of it. That's all I have to say about that. And when Mick Ennis can't get enough of something, you know it's pretty magical. But King Gutho, after gyrating in the end, ends, in the end zone, in the try zone, uh, let, led the eels just on a historic mount of of fire. They just went at the Rabbitohs. And the Rabbitohs didn't see it coming. And I and I and I don't think a lot of people saw because they couldn't keep up with them. And going into the sheds, the Eels were up 18-8. And a lot of people were just in shock. But the problem with this If the South City Rabbitohs were going to go back in and talk to Wayne Bennett. And old Clint Eastwood was going to lay down the law the only way he can. Get some calmness going back through the bunny's blood. And he was going to point them back in the right direction. He did so much so that the second half, a half that pretty much looked like the Parramatta Eels we're here to prove the sporting world wrong. I know Tab was shaking a little bit in their boots there with some money that were about that was about ready to exchange hands a little bit. But in the second half, it was all bunnies. We've talked about coaching before. I, I talked to you uh, a couple weeks ago about Coach Robinson and, and the way he coaches the Chooks. And Wayne Bennett sometimes you watch the guy and you think you're going to have to put a mirror underneath his nostrils to see if he's still breathing. But this 70-year-old wonder coach, he just he just has his fingers on the pulse of his teams. And that's no matter if it was with the Dragons, with the Knights, with the Broncos. He just, and I think that's what his gift is, he just knows what his players need. It's always been said that he's a player's coach. He always he has that ability to say it's us against the world and instill that into his team. And after Latrell Mitchell went down, and we talked about this also before Shedheads, but after Latrell Mitchell went down, and after they lost to the Canterbury Bulldogs, Canterbury Bulldogs, a lot of people said that the, the Rabbitoh season was over. And I'm going to have to tell you right now, to me, the Rabbitohs are the informed team right now in the competition. 
And they put on 30 straight points to the Eels. Damian Cook, I don't know if he thought he was back in the in the Beach 100 finals again, but that divine mustache is running up and down the field at breakneck pace. Cody Walker, Adam Reynolds, the, the, the bunnies just caught fire. And you really saw the look in the eyes of the Eels in the second half of, uh-oh, a green and red tsunami is about ready to hit us. And they did. They went right over the top of them. The match ended 38-24, and, and for 30 points to be, to be scored straight by a team, and for a team to only be able to get six back, just shows you everything you need to know there. Because the Rabbitohs really just put the hammer down. And the Eels, it finally showed that they just didn't have enough firepower to play at that pace with the Rabbitohs. I will tell you, it was a little sad to see Mitchell Moses. Uh, he, Mitch hit hit a clanger off the post, which really kind of showed um, how the, the fortunes had changed. And the, the Rabbitohs pick up the, the ball and, and take off and run another 60 meters the other direction. And that, to me, was the epitome of the second half. But Mitchell Moses really, I don't know, I don't want to say that the moment was too big for him, but he just didn't fire in the final series. And a player that I really, really enjoyed to, to, to watch, and I'm going to tell you, the Tigers, I guarantee you, they sure wish he was still there. But he just kind of fell asleep, it seemed to me, in the finals. That 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 moxie that he brings to the field, um, the leadership skill that a lot of people say that Mitchell has, none of that was really on display. It was all Gutho that had to be the, 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 the lifeblood of that team. And I think that it was really needed. It was really needed for the Eels to get over the top. Now, Brad Arthur and the Eels, after the match, have doubled down saying that Mitchell Moses is going nowhere and he is the future for the Eels. But still, it, it just it would have really been good and really been fun to see the Eels flying with everybody flying uh, in the right direction. But, again, that's why we play the matches and the Bunnies march on. South Sydney. So those were our, our finals Week two NRL matches. And like I told you earlier, Shedheads, there was definitely a lot more drama on the NRL side uh, of this weekend than the AFL side. Um, I, was in, I was really excited for these matches. I was really, really excited for the Pies and the Geelong match. I told you that I thought that by every means that St. Kilda was in trouble against the Tigers, And on Friday night, that was proven. Uh, the Tigers, I think, is a team, again, a lot like the Roosters, but unlike the Roosters, a team that seems to always just be primed for the finals. But the Tigers, and then after they hear that St. Kilda's not going to have Patty Ryder or Carlisle, the two big guys, that could have been maybe um, maybe t two key components for St. Kilda to actually try to take it to the Tigers or at least keep up with the Tigers. When those two were ruled out because of injury 
and um, childbirth, you kind of you kind of saw the writing on the wall. And and the last thing you want to do is leave a leave a bloody steak in a jungle for a tiger to smell. And Saint Kilda kind of had that feeling like they might have been running out on the stadium or onto the ground on Friday with a bloody Guernsey on, and the Tigers came out on the prowl. And that was evident early, and it stayed that way. But I will tell you something, Shedheads. I, I've been up in the air a little bit about Tom Lynch. And I know he was a big signing from the Suns a couple seasons ago. But he just kind of has seemed a little out of place sometimes. I don't think he's really grabbed the game by the back of the neck and imposed his will. And the Tigers did not have Tom Lynch for their their week one final against the Lions. But a lot of people were saying that was going to be a big inclusion for the Tigers. And I will have to admit, right now, Tom Winch was the key component that made the yellow and black roar on Friday. Tom Lynch came in with an attitude. He came out a little snarly. And he got a little dirty. But that type of emotion and spirit that Tom Lynch played with kind of catapulted the Tigers into a dominating performance. You're always going to expect Dusty to play like Dusty can play and Kachi to be throwing people around occasionally or getting in the mix. But Tom Lynch really was... I think the the straw that stirred the drink on Friday night. And even though Dan Butler tried what he could with St. Kilda, it just wasn't enough. And the yellow and black beat the Saints 80 to, to 49. But I think another thing that was important was the kicking accuracy. Because the Tigers had 12 goals and 8 behinds, while St. Kilda had 6 goals and 13 behinds. And that non-accuracy in kicking was the difference in the ball game as well. Or at least a close ball game, making it a, a close ball game. And it just didn't, it just wasn't St. Kilda's time. Now St. Kilda might be one of those young teams that are on the up and up with 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 the uh, Western Bulldogs, but it wasn't their night. And for the fourth straight year. The Richmond Tigers are going to play in the preliminary final. And that being said, that is incredible enough watching a team that if it wasn't for their worst match of their entire season in 2018 against the Pies would have played in four grand finals. So that is beyond commendable and something that the Tigers and the, the yellow and black nation should be very, very proud of. So the Tigers get over pretty, pretty easily on Friday night. Now, the, like I said earlier, the game that really had my intrigue was a battle of old rivals. And that was the Cats against the Pies. And I think a lot of people had penned in that it was going to be Geelong against West Coast. But the Pies put together maybe their best performance a week ago. 
and maybe one of the best victories in their history of Collingwood history by going up to West Coast and winning a game that no one thought, including your Shad Adamas. Thanks, Pies. Anyway, and but winning up there to set up this match against Geelong. And then Geelong sees Selwood go down with, a, with an injury to his finger and really played all right against Porte. But the power really gave it to the Cats in the end. And, and everyone knows winning an Adelaide Oval is not easy, um, let alone playing in an Adelaide Oval stadium that had quite a few fans in it. But Saturday night didn't turn into that whatsoever. And I did not see this coming. I watched Chris Scott in the box of the entire match. And I think that he thought that he might be dreaming. That he could not really believe what he was seeing on the field. Because it was never a match. It was never a match. Geelong surgically dissected the Collingwood Magpies. Like I have not seen a team do to a team in years. And you remember how I said earlier how bounces, you know, things are just uh, just a little bit off. Everything bounced Geelong's way. Everything went the Cats' way. But the thing is, it wasn't just the bounces in the match. It was that Geelong manipulated those bounces. Geelong whipped those bounces where they wanted to. The Cats, the passing that the Cats were doing, the marks, they controlled the ball, they controlled the pace of the game. And I think seeing their captain, Joel Selwood, an injury that the normal person wouldn't be doing anything for three weeks, and Joel Selwood was back on the, on the, on the, on the ground within five days, within four days, to play in a match... Wow. Geelong, that was that hoops, that was one of the most impressive victories that I've seen in a very long time. The Cats went out and beat the Collingwood Magpies 100 to 32. And folks, the game wasn't even that close. There was even talk in the third quarter I think that the I think the cats were up at one point sixty to six or sixty to seven. And there was talk that there hadn't been a club that had scored less than eleven points since I think eighteen ninety-eight. <laughs> eighteen ninety-eight. I don't know folks what you were doing in eighteen ninety-eight. I know I can't remember. But wow. And when you're when you're being compared to a score of not happening in in almost a century, uh, that's never good. So that told you everything, and and I don't and who knows, you know, that victory might have taken all of that out of the pies that that win. But I don't know if I've seen a team get to that point in the season that had nothing left in the tank. And and I will say that Geelong beat it out of him as well. But to see a Nathan Buckley coach team just have nothing. Just have nothing. And to see a Geelong team that was hungry, it just, all the ingredients just led up to a very, 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 very one-sided match. 
and Patrick Dangerfield, Mitch Duncan with 30 disposals, and, and your Coleman medalist, Tom Hawkins. Talk about a man that defies the aging of mankind. And I'm going to have a picture of Tom Hawkins up there. Tom Hawkins used to be a big, beefy guy, you know, he, big, tall, you know, you couldn't move him off the ball. And two seasons ago, Tom Hawkins goes into the offseason and comes back looking svelte. Like, I, I don't know where Tom Hawkins went, but Tom Hawkins 2.0 probably just added another three seasons on this guy's career. And Tom Hawkins has changed his kicking style a little bit, the way that he, the way that he aims and Tom Hawkins, again, went out there and, and just, you know, I wouldn't say that Tom Hawkins dominated the game, but every time he needed to just perform just a little bit for the Cats, he did it. But the guy that was not going to be denied was Dangerfield. Patrick Dangerfield, you know, I, I, there's nothing you can say. There's nothing you can say, but... That guy just put the cats on his back. They put him to full forward. And he just went up and dominated. He was all over the field. All over the field. And again, it led to a very, very easy Geelong victory. And I think it leaves Collingwood going into the offseason with a lot of question marks about the direction that this club is going in. Um, there's some real talk about certain players who aren't going to be back next year, guys who might not want to be back next year, and then how much money they're going to have to spread around. You know, Jordan DeGuey, um, you know, so who knows what the future is holding for the Magpies? You know, they're coming off having some bad injuries towards the last part of the year as well, but. I really, again, can't stress how much and how strange it was to see Nathan Buckley. So much so that Nathan Buckley even came down for the press box to sit on the sidelines to make sure that his players saw him there so they stayed focused to try to turn around a match that by every means going in a half, he knew they'd already lost. So some real questions are being have been put out there now for the Collingwood Football Club going forward. So we'll see. Uh, and let alone with some court cases that are coming up about possible racism from 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 ex-players. So, you know, it's not going to be, I think, a fun season for Collingwood offseason. I think there's a lot of things that are in their future that, that could make it a bumpy road going into the 2021 season. Well, the second part of our 4020 shed heads this week is getting you set up for next weekend. I told you we can't go forward until we go back. I can't put it in to drive unless I back out of the driveway. So here we are. Let's go forward a little bit. Let's get excited here for this weekend to come. And I will tell you right now, of all of the matches, these four matches that are coming up, two in the NRL, two in the AFL, there hasn't been a match that I have been more excited about, I would say for years, if for a preliminary final than the, the Port Adelaide Power and the Richmond Tigers Friday night, Adelaide Oval. Folks, that's a few hours away right now. We're going to maybe, truthfully, and I'm going to say this, 
to me, this is going to be grand final-ish in intensity, in playmaking. And I think, I, I really got to tell you, this is a match that's a pick em. This is a match that being played at Adelaide Oval, a lot of people, I don't want to say a lot of people, some people are saying that the, the power are the favorites. But can you really can you really bet against the Richmond Tigers? A team that's done it, a team that's lived it, a team that's walked it, a team that feels that they're a team of destiny, a team that lost to Port Adelaide, what, five and a half weeks ago, six weeks ago? In this crazy season, who knows, what, what's tomorrow, Friday? I don't know. But beating the Tigers once, good job. Beating them twice, you might have to sell a child. Meaning, you're going to have to leave a lot to do that. And Richmond feels that. And Richmond has something to give you for doing that to them. They're a team that plays with a little bit of angst in their heart, especially when they have a chance to get vengeance. And I don't know why. I, for whatever reason, even though that they have been the benchmark team of the entire season, Port Adelaide, I, for for some reason, I just feel the yellow and black are going over the top of them. I think Richmond is going to beat them. I think it's going to be close. I think it's one where, like the great Terrell Owens, the wide receiver in the NFL, would say, I'd say, get your popcorn ready. Because I think it's going to be a match to behold. And I'm really, really, really hoping both teams play at their best. Looking at the, the matchups coming into the match, it looks like everyone's coming into it pretty healthy, which you want to see. You don't want one team to, to be playing or coming in hurt and one team's coming in 100% healthy. But I really, really, I can't wait for this match. I cannot wait for this match. So that's what we're getting Friday night at Adelaide Oval is the Port Adelaide power against the Richmond Tigers. And your Shed Adamas is going out and saying, Tigers. Now, listen, if you guys continue to place your bets, and I told you, your Shed Adamas is not a gambler. I do not like to gamble. I, I'm just, I'm one of those guys that's very happy with the money that I have, even though, as you can see by my picks, I could make a lot more, right? And I think last weekend I went three and one. Look at the tapes, they're out there. But your Shedded Amos is hot. And I would say, call your local guy at Tab and say, hey, I just listened outside the sheds, mate. This guy, he's a gem. And I am. Because the other match on Friday night, Storm Raiders Suncorp Stadium. Whew. Did you hear that? I exhaled here. This is going to be a match. You've got the Green Machine up against, some people would say, the, the second benchmark team in the league, the number two ranked team in the league, the Melbourne Storm. You've got, 
you've got a Melbourne Storm team that most of the players are from Queensland anyway. Their record up at Suncorp Stadium is impeccable. But then you have Ricky who always says it's us against the world. Could this be Cameron Smith's last match if 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 the Storm are knocked out? I don't think anybody knows. Cameron Smith hasn't come out and said one way or the other if he's playing on, if he's going to get traded, if he wants to play for another team, if you know, if he wants to play Origin. I don't I don't I don't know. But it sounds like Cameron Munster, the 5'8 for the for the Storm is going to be back and that it looks like in training uh, Bellyache, Craig Bellamy said that he's looked good in training up to this point. Uh, he's going up against Jack Whiten, so that's going to be a, a key matchup as well. But this is going to be a match. And even though I, I went above and, above, and, above and beyond on my prelim prediction of the power in the, uh, in the, in the, in the um, Tigers, this one... This is going to be some incredible football as well. But I can't I can't I can't go against the Melbourne Storm. I can't go against Cameron Smith, Cameron Munster, the Fox. I just can't. And I I think the Storm will find a way to beat an overachieving Raiders club. That win or lose will be extremely proud of themselves. But I just think the Storm are the Melbourne Storm. And I think they sense that this could be that season that could be the last season of a little bit of normalcy for a season or two. Because I think there's there could be some major changes coming down there. So I'm going to take the Storm to beat the Raiders tonight at Suncorp Stadium or tomorrow morning at Suncorp Stadium, no matter where you're at. So those are our two preliminary final matches for Friday. Storm versus the Raiders, Power versus the Tigers. Let's transition to Saturday. And Saturday, we have your benchmark club for the entire competition in the NRL, the Penny Panthers, up against, to me, the hottest team in the competition, the South Sydney Rabbitohs at Anzac Stadium. You got Jerome Luai and Cleary up against Reynolds and the divine mustache himself, Cookie, Damian Cook. I look at this match and I really, you, you wonder... If having that that week off for the Panthers might not really be more of a hindrance than a help a help factor. Kickow's not playing. Bill Bill Kickow is out for the for the dangerous throw, which everyone knows was not a dangerous throw. But Williami Kickow not being there, I just I just have this really strong feeling that South Sydney is going to the grand final. And I think we're going to see a South Sydney Melbourne Storm grand final. So even though I know that a lot of the lines are saying that the Panthers, who've won 16 in a row, 
are the favorites in this match. I just feel, especially with this match not being at the foot of the Blue Mountains, that this match actually going to be held in Anzac Stadium, which is going to allow um, quite a few Roosters faithful inside the inside the barn to watch this. I just feel that Wayne Bennett's got South Sydney playing well, and I think they're going to get over the top of the of of the the, the minor premieres. I just do. I just really think the Red and Green Army. And old, and old Rusty, old Rusty Crow, uh, are going to march on in a close, close, close fought match. But I think I think the Bunnies are getting through this one. And that leads us to our last preliminary final match at the GABA. The Brisbane Lions up against the Geelong Cats. You've got probably... Probably the odds-on favorite to win the Brownlow and in, in Lockie Neal up against Dangerfield and the Cats. Now, this is a home match for the Lions. They really are going to be playing at their home stadium at the GABA. And I know people are very excited to actually, who you know, looking at where the Lions were just at two, three years ago, to think that they're going to be hosting a preliminary final and that they're one step away from playing a grand final in their home stadium was something a couple years ago would have not would have been an afterthought and just just not possible or feasible but here they are but we're talking a very 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 young lions team a team that a lot of people think that are a year or two away from doing what they're doing already up against a Geelong team that knows that they're closer to the end they are than the beginning Selwood, Dangerfield, Gary Ablett. These guys have been around for a very, very long time. Hawkins. These guys are 30 and over, most of them. And I think they know that they are not going to get another shot like this as the collective group that they are right now. And they're a team that is built for the big game. So it's going to be a matter of if the Brisbane Lions can unsettle the Geelong Cats' surgical passing attack is going to be the determining factor on this match. And I'm one of those guys that's always going... You're Shed Adamas is a guy that's usually going to take a team with experience and a team that's won over a team that's still learning how to win. And that is why, take a seat as I say this, I have the hoops, the Geelong Cats coming through and beating the Brisbane Lions on their home soil to go and face the Richmond Tigers in the grand final. And boy, will that be a matchup if it comes to fruition. A Tigers-Cats matchup in the grand final. Now, we've got to play the matches. I know this. I know you're saying, whoa, Shed Adamas, calm down. Nothing's happened yet. Okay, all right. I'm listening. But I really feel of these four matches... We're going to get some incredible football. And 
the great thing is for outside the shed fans here in the states, you can watch all of these matches. They're all going to be played on FS1, FS2, and Fox Soccer Channel. So you have no excuse. Uh, some of us will be watching them live, but you don't have to. You can actually set your DVRs to watch them. But I will tell you, if you do not partake in these matches, you're going to miss some incredible ball. Plain and simple. So have fun, Shedheads, with um, these preliminary finals matches starting in a few hours because I think they're going to be pretty damn exciting. All right, everybody. I know it's, it's your favorite time, but let's talk about the guns for this last week. And I've got to tell you something. These three players really excelled in their own way. The first, my number one gun, was Patrick Dangerfield. And you heard me talk a little while ago that Danger just dominated. Danger was skying above the competition when he was getting his marks. Um, you know, the guy, the guy is solid. Patrick Dangerfield is a solid player. He does not look like a guy that's going to break. If he falls, he doesn't look like he's going to get injured in a tackle. He definitely looks like if he gives you a don't argue, you're going to feel it. But Danger went out and had four goals, 19 disposals, 13 kicks, six marks, three clearances, and 298 meters gained in the match. And that isn't giving him or doing him justice in just those stats because Dangerfield just excelled. Every time the ball was in a crucial moment, Dangerfield was just in the screen somewhere. Making a hand pass, receiving a pass, um, just, just sliding around the field. But Patrick Dangerfield had one of those matches of a player that you saw had unfinished business. And a player that saw that he knew this was just one step. He never got too high when he scored a, a goal. He knew that this was just, you know, step one. He had two more steps to go for him to get to the prize he wants, and that's the grand final. So Patrick Dangerfield is my number one gun. My number two gun was the big man. I talked about him a little bit earlier, but Tom Lynch for the Richmond Tigers. And I don't, and I won't say that the Tigers wouldn't have beat St. Kilda if Tom Lynch didn't play in the match. But I will tell you, Tom Lynch, a lot, of, a lot like Mason Cox last week for Collingwood in their big victory over the West Coast Eagles, but Tom Lynch set the tone for the Tigers. He set the tone for Richmond. And Tom Lynch ended up finishing with two goals, five behinds, 17 disposals, 13 kicks, six marks, 329 meters gained, and one goal assist. And Tom Lynch just, he just, and he played with a little, like I said early, just a little bit of anger, a little bit of snarkiness um, that I think really excited the rest of his teammates and got them playing with a mindset of let's take it to these guys. Let's let these guys know who we are. Let's let them feel the yellow and black wave. And and he did. And I got to tell you something. I think Tom Lynch is going to be a huge, huge, huge factor 
um, in tonight's match against the Port Adelaide Power. So Tom Lynch is my number two gun for the week. Now my number three gun was really, really, it was tough because it could have gone two ways. I ended up picking this guy because he led his team to a victory. But my number three gun for the week is Jack Whiten out of the Canberra Raiders. And it was really tough because it was going to be between Jack and King Gutho. But to me, Gutho might have had the the most inspirational performance of the week. But Jack steered his team home. And Jack got the final try and the ceiling try to lift Canberra in their victory over their hated rivals in the Sydney Roosters. But Jack had one try, 450 kick meters, one line break, three tackle breaks, 23 tackles, and 134 total meters. That's a sound game. And the reason that I, the other reason that I think it took him over the top for me was that Jack White has played lights out for both of the first two weeks of the finals. And I and 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 I gotta tell you, you know, just a couple years ago, Jack Jack Whiten was the fullback for Canberra, and he got himself in some legal problems. And to see where he is at now, playing Origin, and really being, you know, besides Josh Papali, I'd have to say the inspiration by behind this Green Machine's resurgence in the way that he's played, and he's played with with a toughness about him. You know, if you look back at that match, he had a gigantic cut on the side of his face. But Jack Whiten is the reason I think a lot of the green machine believe that they can get over the top of the Melbourne Storm um, in a few hours' time. So we'll we'll have to see. But, but the future doesn't mean anything because we're talking about the guns for this last week. And Jack Whiten, you're, not, you're my number three gun of the week. So exciting times for all those players. Um, all of them did produce enough that their teams got over the top. So Jack Whiten, Tom Lynch, Patrick Dangerfield, welcome to the club, boys. You know when we finish this out, we always talk about outside the bubble because I think to love sports is to love all sports. And so when we talk outside the bubble, I'd like to let you guys know some other things that are happening around the block. But in this fine world that we call Mother Earth. But I think the number one thing you have to go with is your 17-time now NBA champion, LA Lakers. Winning and coming over the top of Jimmy Buckets and the Miami Heat. To win the NBA championship in six games. I got to tell you something. What a year for the Lakers. Losing a player that will go down as maybe the greatest Laker of all time. I know that is up to interpretation. But losing Kobe Bryant back in January and to turn around and to come back and to win an NBA championship in this crazy year of the bubble and the guys having to kiss their their wives and their children on top of the head and say that daddy's going away for a few months to try to bring home the prize. I think some people have downplayed that this bubble champion is not a true champion. I think you're out of your mind. 
I think you're out of your mind. I think any team that went into that NBA bubble or like the Tampa Bay Lightning did by going into that NHL bubble, to come out of it after being not being able to sleep in your bed, not being able to he- to eat mama's cooking or your wife's cooking, to be able to, to, to read a book to your child at night, um, to, to, to have to live in a sterilized environment. To me, these champions, the Lightning and your LA Lakers that we're talking about right now, should we go down as two of the greatest champions in their, in their collective sports of all time for what they had to overcome to get there? But the Lakers winning it and then seeing LeBron accomplish what I know he wanted to do, and that's to shut up a lot of the doubters. And I think you remember a few weeks ago I said if LeBron leads the Lakers to an NBA championship and gets his third ring, excuse me, his fourth ring at his at his third different club. And let's not forget, get his fourth finals MVP trophy. I said it. I said it, Shedheads. To me, you have to look at LeBron as possibly being the greatest NBA player of all time. And I know right now, I, I hey, I'm not ducking. You throw it if you want to. You throw that egg. You throw whatever you want at me. I'm not ducking. Jordan fans, I know you guys are out there. I know you guys think that Jesus and Jordan both walk on water. You're idiots. Jordan would fly over water, right? Come on, his airness. But anyway, but to see what LeBron did and to see the age that LeBron is doing it at, I don't think we've seen this type of performance and an an athlete this age in dominating the way that he has. I don't think we've seen it in any other sport. And I know some people will try to say Tom Brady, but last time I checked, it's a bad game if Tom Brady gets knocked down three times. LeBron James bangs and clangs and is the best player on his club. Tom Tom Brady's not the best athlete on the Patriots or the Buccaneers now. He's never been the best athlete. LeBron James is the best athlete on the Lakers. Still, at, at 35. And to see that man do what he did and to will his team on, and to carry his team at times. Um, I don't know. It's hard for me to say that LeBron James isn't the best player that we've ever seen play the game of basketball. Yes, he might do it a little bit differently than Jordan or Bill Russell or, or any of these other players. But to me, the guy is going down as maybe the GOAT. And the thing is, he's not retiring, folks. I think in the back of his mind, after he got his fourth ring, I think LeBron knows for him to really be able to stand there, he needs five. And why would you think that he can't get him? So my number one outside the bubble was the Lakers, LeBron James. This wasn't even in my outside the bubble until two hours ago. But if you've been paying attention a little bit to the NBA, the NBA has had some crazy moves. But one of the ones that really, really, really threw me off is the LA Clippers firing Doc Rivers when they were going into the final, possibly as the favorite to win the NBA, the NBA championship. But, but they get knocked out. 
and they fire Doc Rivers. Now, truthfully, I think Doc has parlayed this into an even better scenario by getting the head coaching job for the Philadelphia 76ers. But word just came down now that the Clippers are in the final stages of a five-year contract to hire Tyrone Liu as their next head coach. And I think that's a, a great hire. I, I If you're going to get rid of a Doc Rivers, which I don't know why you did, but if you're going to get rid of Doc, I think Tyrone Liu, who, don't forget, Ty Liu actually was the coach that was coaching LeBron that brought that championship to Cleveland, as LeBron would say. So Tyrone Liu is now parlayed getting his hands or his, his hands on the keys for a pretty pretty nice vehicle in the LA Clippers. And the question is, can you get a little bit of life out of Kawhi Leonard and get uh, Pandemic P, ooh, I'm sorry, Paul George, to play efficiently well with others? And that would be the rest of their teammates. So I can't think of a better guy to do that than Ty Lue um, with the things that he had to go through in Cleveland. And I really think that guy is an underrated coach. You know, in a, in a lot of ways, an underrated coach. So if this really goes down, look like they say is a matter of probably an hour or two from being finalized. Congratulations, Tyrone Liu, and a heck of a hire by the Clippers. Now, for my last topic in outside the sheds, I could have gone a few different ways. We could have talked about a little bit of Major League Baseball and that the the cheat the cheat strows, the Houston cheat strows are still finding a way to bang enough trash cans to still stay in the playoffs at this point. But I really want to go with Dak Prescott being injured on Sunday. There's not many times that you that grown men, unless the pain actually happens to you, sheds a tear. But seeing Dak Prescott go down with that lower leg injury that he had really hurt and I think there was a lot of different reasons I think for one you saw one of the good guys of the NFL a guy that was betting on himself because you know uh, Jared Jones and the Dallas Cowboys aren't going to go out of their way to um, you know sign up a good player like Dak but to see this guy who's taken the brunt of criticism even though That defense, if it was a ship, would have already sunk three weeks ago. But to see Dak lead his team, put the numbers up that he has, do it with class, week in and week out, but to see the injury and what that really means, meaning he may not get the contract that he so truly deserved, to have maybe his future in the game put into jeopardy, which I think Dak is going to be fine. But it was tough. It was really tough to see. It was tough to see the look in his face when he saw the injury, when he still had his helmet on. But it was even tougher to see him when they put him in the back of the cart and he went off the field because he knew that once again, he wasn't going to be able to do it the easy way. But for Dak Prescott, a a guy that lost a brother this year 
and who's always never been able to do it the easy way, I guess this is just what happens for a guy like that. But to me, it's an even more reason to love Dak Prescott and to say in your prayers at night for Dak to heal up and to be able to perform at the level that he did. I also thought that it was really strange and really an odd coincidence that Dak Prescott goes down with the injury that he had the day that Alex Smith comes back against the the Cowboys' most hated rival in the Washington Football Club and runs out on the field to take his first snap. A guy that had 17 injuries to try to help him get back on the field. A guy that they said that they were probably going to have to amputate his leg because of the injury and the infections. But it was very strange to see Alex Smith come back and Dak Dak Prescott go down. And I just, again, it just shows you, we can love these games, we can love sports, but sometimes sports doesn't love us back because it can smack us hard in the face with reality and pain and suffering. But again, I guess that makes it why we love them at the same time because we love to see stories of redemption and we love to see stories of the fiery phoenix coming out of the flames. And Dak Prescott, prayers go out to you and your family and and I really hope that you come back and and I know what's in you is your character. I've watched you since you played at Mississippi State and I know that you have everything in you to come back. So let's hope for a, a clean, clean rehab and recovery and that we see you back on the field next year getting paid what you should have been paid if you uh, uh, heard what I'm talking about there, Jerry. So, Shedheads, I've dropped a lot of knowledge on you this week. Again, God, you got to feel it. You got to feel that energy, don't you? Don't you love to feel preliminary final weekend upon us? But go into this weekend knowing that you're going to see some good footy. Go out of your way to find these matches. Drop me a line. Because don't forget, this outshed, this outside the sheds family, isn't just about your shed Adamus here. It isn't just about me. It's about you guys bringing it to the table week in and week out. I love to see you guys listening to the listen to this in Ireland and in France and to my family and friends down under in Australia, New Zealand, and then some of the people, some of the peeps in the home base back here in the United States. But no matter where you're from, remember, we're all one shed head family. And like I tell you week in and week out, try to make the difference in somebody's life. And if you're going to get and go out there and, how should I say, get in trouble and do what you shouldn't, just don't get caught, shed heads. But until next time, this is Corey Jackson. You've been listening outside the sheds. Have a great weekend. Have fun. Have your favorite beverage, and I'll see you next week. See ya. And that was another fantastic episode of Outside the Sheds with Corey Jackson, talking all things NRL, AFL, and all things sports. So please remember to smash the subscribe button and share this with your family and friends and show them what Australian sport is all about. 